Welcome to First Line. My name is Aubrey Ann Jackson, and I am a student doctor in my last year of medical school. First Line brings listeners of all backgrounds together to discuss whole body health and wellness through an osteopathic lens. First Line covers tangible ways to improve your health, how to succeed in medical school, and various topics in healthcare, including mental health, all while holistically addressing the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. Hello everyone. As I'm recording this, I am actually going to have my last week of clinical rotations for the semester this week. And then I have some time off from rotations mostly to do the majority of my interviews for residency. And then shortly after that is really holiday break where I'll be traveling to visit family and then back to some clinical rotations in the new year. But really, I only have about five rotations that are each two weeks long in the spring. But this week, I want to talk about some OMM related topics. And I just had an episode that came out last week that was more of an overview of osteopathic manipulative medicine or OMM also known as Osteopathic Manipulative Treatment or Technique, OMT, and I use those interchangeably usually. But OMM kind of refers to the osteopathic approach as a whole, whereas OMT is the actual techniques that are used. So I'm probably going to have a few episodes talking about different types of techniques with also how to diagnose uh, somatic dysfunctions or this imbalance that you can have in your body. But this week I want to focus on techniques that are a little easier to understand just as an introduction to OMM and also happens to be some of the techniques that are most widely used and are most common for osteopathic medicine physicians to actually use on their patients. And you'll definitely see why. So what I'm starting with is osteopathic medicine for the lumbar spine. And the lumbar spine is really just in your lower back. So if you feel where your ribs end in the front and you trace your ribs, the rib angle around to your back, that is where your thoracic spine ends. And then everything lower than that until you meet your hips is your lumbar spine. So it's that lower back area. And this is a very common area for people to have pain. Chronic lower back pain is very common. I think almost everyone gets lower back pain at some point in their lives. Low back pain is actually the second most common reason for someone to see a doctor in the United States. And it is the second leading cause of missing work. Of course, there's some reasons to have back pain that could be serious, like a kidney infection, kidney stones, endometriosis, and even metastasis to bone from cancer. But Over 90% of back pain is musculoskeletal in nature, so it is related to the muscles and the bones of the back. 
The most common cause of back pain is lumbar strain, which is low back pain that is secondary to stress put on the lumbar spine. And it's considered mechanical because the pain often worsens with overuse. And a lot of times this can be worsened by lifting and or not using good posture or maybe some sort of injury has started the lumbar strain. In traditional medicine and just general medicine, there's not a lot that can be done about lower back pain. Certainly, any doctor can prescribe some pain medications to help with lower back pain. Sometimes, doctors will prescribe a muscle relaxant to help with muscle spasms in the back. Otherwise, the best thing a doctor can do is to refer a patient to see a physical therapist who can work with them on strengthening some of their back muscles in order to relieve some pressure off the back. But really, it's great that osteopathic medicine physicians actually have another tool that can be used, and this is OMM. And OMM works really well for the lower back, and it's probably what it's used most for. Just because lower back pain is so common, then also the technique works very well for most people. And the reason why this is so helpful is that the pain medication and the muscle relaxants, they help to alleviate some of the symptoms that lower back pain causes, but it doesn't really fix the underlying issue and it doesn't address the underlying cause for the back pain. Whereas osteopathic medicine can address this and can resolve some of the imbalance in the body or somatic dysfunction in order to help your body to be functionally better by using knowledge of the anatomy and the physiology. So when we're talking about the lower back, we're talking about that lumbar spine. It's made out of five vertebrae. So it's kind of an overview. There's six vertebrae in your cervical spine that's in your neck and then your upper back is composed of 12 thoracic vertebrae then you have the five lumbar vertebrae and below the lumbar vertebrae is your sacrum and in addition to the vertebrae the lumbar region is also made up of a lot of ligaments your back muscles and then some attachments with some of your hip muscles so When someone comes in with back pain, lower back pain, the osteopathic medicine physician is likely going to do a few tests in order to evaluate for restriction and for imbalance of the lower back. So one of one of those things is to look at range of motion to see how well you're able to move your back and that mostly involves rotating your trunk as well as side bending your trunk. And flexing to touch your toes or extending back, all of those can assess your range of motion and they can also test the strength of your back as well, usually using your legs as a lever. There's also something called the hip drop test, which can reveal which direction your back likes to side bend with, so that just involves dropping your hip on the left and then dropping your hip on the right and the osteopathic medicine physician can look from behind you and they're actually not looking at your hips they're actually looking at 
the motion in your back. So it's a very helpful test. They would likely also do some neurological testing too to make sure that any technique they would perform on you would be safe to do so you don't have any nerve impingements that they could worsen. So they might do a neurological test making sure that your sensation of your legs are intact and that your reflexes are okay. The doctor will most likely have you laying on your stomach, which is called the prone position, and they're going to palpate or touch along your spine and look for areas of restriction using those tissue texture changes that I mentioned in the last episode. And then they're going to identify the position of your vertebrae because a lot of times your vertebrae will be rotated a certain way and osteopathic medicine physicians can actually feel that. And then they can also see where the vertebrae is restricted in motion. So in addition to side bending and rotating your trunk and observing where you're restricted, they can also move the vertebrae themselves and see where the restriction is. And that's used to diagnose. Osteopathic medicine physicians like to diagnose where the restriction is so that after they perform a technique, they can reassess and see if the imbalance is still there. And there's a variety of techniques that can be used for the lower back. So one that I really like to use is muscle energy. And I like this because you can do it on almost every patient. It's a very gentle technique because the amount of force that you're putting on the joint is decided by the patient themselves. And it actually requires a very small amount of pressure. So the way that this is done is that the patient lays on their side and they will flex their hips or draw their knees to their chest. And the diagnosis of where their spine is will decide which side that they lay on. And the osteopathic medicine physician will adjust the feet depending on where in the spine the dysfunction is and then the patient is going to push their feet against the resistance provided by the osteopathic medicine physician and that's held for about five seconds and this is that isometric contraction that I spoke about in the last episode and then the patient will relax again and will be moved into the next barrier and then the same isometric contraction is going to be used two or more times and how muscle energy works is that following an isometric contraction the neuromuscular apparatus so your neurons your muscles and the connections between them is in a refractory state and during this refractory state you can stretch that muscle without encountering a strong opposition to it. And this involves the doctor resisting that contraction and then being able to take that soft tissue slack during the refractory period and then stretching during that refractory stage. It's a very effective technique and works for a lot of people. Another 
technique that can be used that I don't use as often, but is still a very viable technique and it's a very fast technique, is also one that I mentioned in the last episode, kind of as an overview. It's called facilitated positional release. In this one, you're going to be laying on your belly. Depending on the side of the dysfunction, one of your legs is going to be lifted up and adducted or crossed over midline or abducted, which means pulled out to the side. And then some internal rotation is used as well, which is really just the motion of rotating your leg so that your knee is facing midline. And this is altogether held for about five seconds, and then the leg is brought down to neutral. It sounds very simple, but this technique is actually pretty effective a lot and can especially be a great choice for patients that might have too much pain with muscle energy. And this is a very gentle technique that can be used and can be just as effective. Another thing that can be used that can really be used anywhere in the body is myofascial release. So in the lumbar spine, this is used to relieve some tension on the fascia that surrounds muscles. And a lot of times this can help to relax the muscles and also aid in circulations so that if there is any injury to the muscle that your blood flow and your lymphatics and your nerves, everything that is required for recovery is optimized. There are quite a few uses for myofascial release or other soft tissue techniques. One way that it can help is to relax hypertonic muscles or muscles that have too much tone and too much tension. It can also be used to stretch the fascia. It can enhance circulation. It can improve neurological connections. It can help oxygenation and removal of metabolic waste in the area. It can even increase immunity as well. And how myofascial release works is actually very interesting. So the mechanism behind this is based off of the fascia being capable of changing in length to have some elasticity to it. And this can stimulate the accumulation of fibroblasts, cause some absorption of free fluid, add lubrication between fascial layers, and all of this taken together can provide freedom of movement and release of restriction. In addition to this, myofascial release can alter muscle tone and also neural facilitation. So myofascial release is often used for anyone with low back pain before any other technique is used because it can also relax the muscles enough so that they can respond a little bit better to the techniques. And many times... Patients have so much muscle tension and fascial tension that it's even hard to diagnose the lumbar spine and really be able to palpate for the rotation in the side bending because of that much tension. So a lot of times myofascial release is used to free up that tension and then the lumbar spine can be 
diagnosed after that. And so myofascial release is really just the osteopathic medicine physician using their hands to move the soft tissue in a direction that is either towards the the barrier or with the ease. And then that position is held for about a minute or two just until that tension releases and the osteopathic medicine physician is able to feel when the tension is released and when the treatment is completed. And this works super well. The last technique I'll discuss specifically with the lumbar spine is HVLA or high velocity low amplitude. And this is one that I mentioned in the previous episode that this is really the cracking backs and it doesn't always have to be cracking backs. Really, any joint in the body can have HVLA applied to it, but it's a lot of times associated with the back. So what's important here is that the HVLA techniques, yes, often end with the cracking or the articulation sound, but these techniques can also work without an audible sound being made at all. So a lot of times patients will have HVLA and they can be like, oh, well, it didn't work because my back didn't crack, but that doesn't necessarily say anything about the efficacy of the treatment. I've had patients that their pain and their motion is restored with HVLA without a crack being made. And other patients that there was a crack, but they still have the pain and they actually need the treatment to be performed a second time. But a lot of times, a crack is produced by this technique and I think it is worth connecting this with the cracking backs because there is a thrust involved. So there is a high velocity impact. So very fast movement, but what's important here is low amplitude. So that really means that the actual motion of that high velocity motion is actually a very, very small movement. So you're not really cranking on the back, you're really just adding a very, very quick but short jolt of energy that is really a low amplitude because when you set up for the thrust, you're so localized that you only have to move really an inch or even a centimeter in order to break through that barrier. So how it's done with the back is that usually the patient is going to lay on their side depending on the side of their somatic dysfunction and their top leg is going to be flexed at the hip so the knee goes towards the chest. The bottom leg is going to be extended. The torso is going to be rotated so that you're laying on your side but your upper torso is kind of against the table. And then the doctor is going to position you into the barrier and they're going to be monitoring the vertebrae that they're treating so they can make sure that they feel that they're at the barrier. And then they're going to use some of their body weight to give a very quick thrust into your hip in order to induce the rotation and side bending that will break through your barrier. And how HBLA is thought to work is around restoring joint motion and also perhaps tearing some micro adhesions by 
pushing through a barrier, and it can also decrease facilitation and elevated mechanoreceptor activity that can cause pain in individuals. That is also a very good technique to use. A lot of patients really love it, but HBLA is certainly not for anyone, especially with patients that have like herniated discs or had a recent surgery. And then in patients that have osteoporosis, fractures of the bone that is being treated, metastatic cancer to the bone, severe rheumatoid arthritis, or joint instability, then these are reasons definitely not to use this technique. But especially for young, otherwise healthy patients that really just have low back pain or just had a recent muscle strain or or just have a lot of tension that has built up from their backs, then this technique can work really well in these people. So I want to finish up this episode talking about the five models of osteopathic medical care and how they relate to low back pain. So the most obvious one is the biomechanical model. So osteopathic medicine seeks to address what other somatic dysfunction or imbalance there is in the lumbar spine. And because we know that the body is so interrelated, we also frequently look at other structures that could be involved such as the thoracic spine or the hips or the sacrum because you could have an imbalance in your hips that actually presents as back pain. And so osteopathic care seeks to restore good posture and that balance. But the other models can come into play as well. So with the respiratory and circulatory model, sometimes muscle spasm and fascial restriction can compromise proper circulation. So really addressing these imbalances can also maximize oxygenation to all of the areas of the body and not just oxygenation, but also delivery of nutrients, which we forget the circulatory system has a major role in, and then also the removal of waste with lymphatic flow. For the neurologic model, I mentioned this previously, but when you decrease muscle spasm and muscle hypertonicity, you can reduce your pain signals to the area. And you can also just improve lumbar motion as well as decrease spine facilitation, the nerves of your somatic nervous system as well as your autonomic nervous system. For the metabolic model, this is more of a role with looking how metabolism can affect low back pain. So nutrition is a big thing here that you want to make sure that you have sufficient intake of especially calcium and vitamin D when it comes to reducing your back pain. Then the other part of osteopathic care is the behavioral model. So addressing the psychological status of a patient and how stress can affect their health and how their environment and their socioeconomic factors can influence their health. A lot of times people have careers that force them to put more work on their back, like if they're lifting a lot at work or they're sitting at a desk and they have poor posture. All of these things are behavioral and they can influence a patient's low back pain. Also, being under chronic stress. 
or having a mental health issue can also influence how much pain and how much muscle tension you have because you can hold that stress in your body as well. Let me know that you like First Line. If you are listening on Spotify, tap the star to rate the show. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, scroll down and tap to rate or write a review. Thank you so much for your support. You can follow First Line on Instagram at First Line Podcast or on Facebook, facebook.com slash First Line Podcast. Stay tuned for a new episode every Monday.